0: What a blessing. Now let's find the book of James. Would you find the book of James, please? I'm thanking my Father in Heaven today for managing the Spiritual Awakening Conference to be able to deal with me in my own spiritual life. I'm thankful for Pastor Shaw, who has given us some remarkable, Uh, lessons and sermons on sanctification and also the book of James. It'd be interesting to sit down and visit with him. As a revivalist, I uh, have really been thoroughly through the book of James, which is actually a revival book, but I I was aware sitting up there of thinking about what I might say, how I could really step into the quicksand if I get saying a few things. Uh, like about the book of James, because of opinions that we might have about which James and all that stuff. So we'll save that for Pastor Shaw and I later on, and I won't get stuck in the mud uh, this morning. But I tell it's all been the Lord working in our lives, and uh, some of you have spoken to me. And it's been a part of what God's doing in my life, things you have said to me, and prayers that we have prayed together. And I can certainly see, and I'm thanking the Father, for his continually working in our midst uh, during these days. And look who's here. Now, I'm not missing this. It's really quite wonderful. Right in the back there is a man who was uh, brought up in Iran, a Persian man, Brother Garmi. Uh, when I saw him here in the month of December, I went, what do you know? And I said, what are you doing here? That's a way to uh, welcome someone. Uh, <laughs> but. We have a little history of how the Lord put us together on the Revival Road, and now he's at Falls. Wow. Pretty great. And he's in on these meetings. And uh, he actually uh, grew up in Persia. Wow. That's quite amazing. And then we have uh, folks here from uh, from Kenya, where I will be in a few weeks, the Lord willing, and from Ghana. Wow. Kenya and Ghana sound really good to me today. I do like Wisconsin. I do enjoy Wisconsin. And if it snows, I enjoy the snow looking at it through a window. Uh, But anyway, uh, it'll be uh, good to be in those places. But it's good to have all of you right here, right now, because God is speaking to us. James, would you look at the fourth chapter? Go down to verse 4 pretty strong language i think it's language brought to us from the book of matthew but anyway james who was the lead elder of the church at jerusalem i think he was james the son of Alphaeus. i've gotten into the mud there better be quiet okay and uh call of god to send a circular letter out to the churches which needed revival Now he's calling them to revival with very strong language. If you read the whole chapter, he accuses them of killing. Based on what Jesus Christ said, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you've killed him. Now, verse 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world? is the enemy of god do ye think that the scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy but he giveth more grace wherefore he saith god resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble submit yourselves therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. That's talking about revival. Now, the problem was worldliness in the churches which he goes into detail defining and he says you know what if you love the world you are not faithful to your bridegroom and you're an adulterer and he says not only that if you are a friend of the world you're the enemy of God you're not just straying children you're the enemy boy pretty strong language but you know what There's an answer, and it's revival, but basically what revival is, according to the verses we read, is the grace of God, the grace of God liberating me from my worldliness, and I access it by humility. Because the principle is, God resisted the proud, but He always gives grace to the humble. It's amazing in the Bible who God gives grace to because they humble themselves. So he says, Humble yourself, and that'll lead to submission to God, resistance to the devil, drawing nigh to God, which often is called seeking the Lord, drawing nigh to God by confession of my sins, cleansing my hands, purifying my heart, which is dedication of my life. He's calling us to revival. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He'll lift you up. What wonderful verses. That's great, but now look at verse 9 be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. What? Do you have to cry? You know, some of you have been in a real revival. Sometimes there's real emotion in revival. And we read about it in history, big revivals, with a whole lot of weeping and mourning. Matter of fact, uh, they used to call the place where sinners were called to repent, the mourner's bench. Now, do you have to cry? To have a revival, do you have to weep and mourn and cry? What about that? And Lord, that's what we're asking you right now. What about it? What about mourning? Help us, Lord, to get the truth here. And Lord, we pray that at this stage in our spiritual life, you'd help us to know something that'll bring us to a full revival and the abiding me life. Lord, that's your intention. So may thy will be done right now on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, don't just skip this there's something here now after verse 10 that's the call to revival humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord he will lift you up in verses 11 on he starts talking about the revived life we're gonna go on and live it you can go on and read that now notice something that's brought up look down there in verse 15 can you still have your Bible open for that ye ought to say if the Lord will we shall live and do this or that okay now watch he's saying a revived person Uh, is uh, not going to say, I'm going to do this tomorrow. He's going to say, if it's the Lord's will. Going to subject his decisions and his plans to the will of God. Now, I'll keep going here. But now, ye rejoice in your boastings. (laughs) Then he says, all such rejoicing is evil. Now, what is he talking about? He's referring to Proverbs 27, 1, where it says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. You know that verse? You don't know what a day bringeth forth. He says, when I talk about I'm going to do this tomorrow, I'm boasting as if I have control. I can keep myself alive. You know, I, it's like I'm God on the throne. What I even say, you know what, what I need to say is, If it's the Lord's will and I'm still alive, what do you say we do this together tomorrow? That's a part of being a revived person. Because to speak of tomorrow as if we have tomorrow is boasting, and he says, all such boasting is evil. And it says this, all such rejoicing is evil. Ye rejoicing your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Imagine this, evil rejoicing. Ooh, there's something here. Hosea 9, Old Testament revivalist, opens up with this line. Rejoice not. Rejoice not. They were living in disobedience to God. They were committing terrible sins, and they were having a great time. And for revival in their lives, they would have to follow the command rejoice not. I was in a church actually in North Carolina. I seldom get to go back to North Carolina. But I remember I was preaching a sermon and you know what, an evangelist, especially one that has never been there before, the revivalist doesn't know anything. The pastor knows what's going on and I'm aware of that. Well, I'll tell you, I sure showed my ignorance this day. I was preaching actually not this sermon but on this principle about this. And I said, you know what God is saying? God is saying, wipe that smile off your face. It's no time to smile. Enjoying your pride. All such rejoicings either. Wipe that smile off your face, face in what I thought was a dramatic move. I went, wipe that smile off your face and the whole place broke out in laughter. Didn't take me long to figure out why. Right where I was pointing, by accident, was a teenage girl that was smiling all the time. And I forgot about that. I had seen her around a big glow on her face. So the preacher gets up and points at her and says, wipe that smile off your face. And everybody breaks up in laughter. I tell you, that didn't really help the sermon very much. (laughs) Uh, But it is what God's saying. Wipe that smile off your face. Mourn, be afflicted, weep. That's what he says. Now, look at verse 10 again. What does revival look like? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, it's not, as our brother said, miserable sanctification. See, some people think uh, that revival is brokenness, humility, humility contrition. They think that revival looks like but you know what revival looks like? It looks like this. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. (laughs) See, abide in me is. See, that's revival. But the way to revival is going down, getting there requires breaking heaviness humility and mourning so let me explain it to you let's pray i like to pray again dear lord give me uh insight now and lord we pray you'd speak to us help us to see the truth that's our prayer in jesus name amen first thing mourning is good for a follower of jesus matthew 5.4, 5.4, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Thousands of people said that they were following Jesus. He assembled them upon a mountain in Galilee, and he taught them. He began to say this, if you follow me, your values will be entirely different from the rest of the world. They say blessed are the rich, I say blessed are the poor. Specifically, he started out with blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Needy. I used to think poor in spirit means humble. No, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Here's what he's saying. If you're needy, if you're aware of your need, there's nothing in God's kingdom you can't have, so you're blessed. Blessed are they that mourn. Later in the Sermon on the Plain, he said this, Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Then he says, Blessed are they that do and, humble and, oh, hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And the values of a follower of Jesus Christ are the opposite of the world. Okay, but now here's what I'm saying. One of the big ones is, blessed are they that mourn blessed means fortunate happy for a christian mourning is a good thing now listen to that well-known beatitude blessed are they that mourn for they the mourning ones shall be comforted he's speaking of comfort because of mourning Not just if you weep and cry and you have a bad day, one day the Lord will comfort you. No, they're connected. Mourning is a good thing for Christians because we are comforted because we have mourned. Turn to the Old Testament now, book of Joel. Would you look up the book of Joel? The people of God, the nation of Israel, was in, were in real trouble, and God was judging them already, and uh, things were bad, so the prophet Joel is calling them to repentance with these words. Joel 2, verse 12. Okay, get your eyes on the words. He says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, watch this, with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. The judgment at this time was an insect invasion, infestation that was destroying the crops. They didn't have food for offerings or for the table. He says, let's weep and mourn. Turn to God, rend your heart, not your garment. You know, in the old days, to symbolize mourning, they would rip, they would tear their clothes. Not your clothes, your inward self. And he says, mourn and weep, who knows? Who knows? Maybe God will hear our prayers and restore our food and our crops. Blow the trumpet in Zion, look at verse 15. Sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders. Gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom come forth of his chamber, come back from your honeymoon, this is important. And the bride out of her closet. Let the priest, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare thy people. O Lord, give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. If we gathered down by the temple and if we repented of our sins, we could expect that God who is merciful would come through for us. But part of the mix is the mourning. The tears, the weeping, it's there. Now look, we're not really talking about working up emotion, and we're not talking about trying to get God to pity us.' going <laughs> to come before God, <clears throat> go on a hunger strike and fast. And uh, maybe I can twist his arm, and if I cry enough, uh, maybe he'll feel sorry for me. That isn't really what this is about. Although this is something for us to take a look at. It's because it's very important. See, you know what this is? It's about the depth of our perception of the problem and our concern. The depth. I mean, now I'm going to be ridiculous. Here's an Israelite who says, well, the insects destroyed our crops. We don't know how we're going to offer meat offerings at the temple. We don't even know how we're going to eat. And you know, I recognize that as a problem. So uh, before I thank the Lord for lunch, I'm going to pray about this. Dear Lord, thank you for this food. We're glad we have food. And Lord, would you please restore your nation to right relationship with you and revive us in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, let's dig in. And you know what? If I had kind of a lighthearted attitude toward the whole problem, I think the Bible is teaching. I've got a few minutes to convince you of this. That I might not receive the blessing I would have received if I had mourned. It has to do with depth of perception, how serious this is, and depth of concern. Blessed are they that mourn where they shall be comforted, like about a church. You know, there are people who say, you know, it'd be nice to have a revival in our church. That would be a lot nicer. The offerings would be better. And you know what? Maybe fewer of our young people would scandalize our congregation. And you know, maybe people would stop leaving. We'd have more converts. I'll tell you what things would be better if we had a revival, that would be a nice thing. You know, that's a whole lot different than someone who says, you know, we, we can't survive without God. <laughs> what on earth are we gonna do? Talk to the pastor about it. He doesn't seem to get it. Oh, my heart is broken. It's different. Many situations are correctly addressed when we mourn about them, be afflicted and mourn and weep, meaning, It may not be that our church will be revived until somebody's weeping. God reads us. And people who say, be nice to have a revival, I'll tell you what, maybe some of the people would be glad I came to BCM instead of critical. That'd be nice. But if somebody over here in Menominee Falls got so they could hardly sleep at night because of the church at home, Or a prodigal. You know, my brother or my sister, they're not living for the Lord. And you know what? You do put their name in your prayers. But what if somebody mourned? What if somebody mourned about what could be? What if somebody mourned about the almost inevitable consequences of the direction they're going? What if somebody really was thinking about But how sure it is, is, it is that somebody brought up in a Christian home has taken the direction he is gone. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You may expect God to come through if you'll just mourn. Don't you remember in Psalm 34 and Psalm 51, it tells us that God will not despise a broken heart. You're concerned, but is your heart broken? Hmm? You have an interest, but is your heart broken? And a contrite spirit, the word contrite in Hebrew means crushed. You're concerned, but are you crushed? God will not despise, God will not overlook a broken heart and a contrite spirit. It matters to him. See, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted at church or prodigal. How about your life? Somebody says, you know what, I'm not quite where I ought to be. And I was a little nervous coming back to school. I know a lot of people are walking with God. I'm not really, but I'm not doing anything real bad. I will be all right. But I'm going to tell you something, friends. If you've got thinking about the vast difference between abide in me and abide not in me, and filled with the spirit and walking in the flesh. And started realizing how no account your life is. What a waste. You might mourn. What's the matter with you? Can I talk to you? I'll tell you what, I'm a mess. Did you know somebody walking out of chapel like that is liable to get fixed? (laughs) See, and the difference between you yesterday and today is that today you're mourning. It's the depth of your concern and perception. Wow. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. A lot of problems in the world are unaddressed and unsolved because nobody's mourning. Oh, I'm I mad at the Democrats. Oh, I tell you, I think, past, Pastor, President Trump's speech last night was good. And, oh, they had Nancy in the other one. Uh, I didn't see this. I've been told about it. Oh, I am so mad. But you know what? If somebody looked at the United States of America, and instead of being mad and partisan, you mourned. You mourned. A nation touched by awakenings, my country, what's going to happen? And, you know, even glibly, fundamentalists will say, well, I'll tell you something, if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's kind of a nice little phrase to use. Do you mean that? Fire from heaven? Destroyed for the face of the earth? That's what we can look for? And how can you be so glib? What if somebody mourned, what's the matter with you? You guys are over here, and man, you're all worked up emotionally. We're praying for my country. Blessed are they that mourn, for they're the ones who will be comforted. Number two thing, emotions accompany the rest of you now we are made body soul and spirit and our soul i think it's correct to say our soul is mind will and emotions now where my mind goes and my will goes i bring the rest of me including emotions here they come And you know what you get saved in the will you decide i'm going to trust in christ now the mind's involved because you were told the gospel you understand the gospel so now uh, based on the gospel your mind you make a decision to trust in christ and that's your will and you know what's happening here uh your mind and your will is bringing you to christ but you know what you're going to bring your emotions with you Your emotions accompany the rest of you. Yeah, it's absolutely correct. You can wrongly emphasize emotion, and salvation isn't emotion. But it often comes along, don't you think? Now, I think I've mentioned it, but this year, 2019, we're having our 50th wedding anniversary. So going back 50 years ago, man, that's a long time ago. And actually, prior to that, uh, I decided I was going to pop the question. And we both thought the will of the Lord was, would be that we would be married. Uh, one day, I got kind of worked up emotionally, and uh, on the campus of Bob Jones, I was going to ask her if she would consider praying about marrying me. And it was October 31st, Halloween. <laughs> and I remember Tony said, Not today. (laughs) (laughs) Then I had her in my hometown, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and uh, I took her down to Old Salem where the Moravians were, and there's a big cemetery called God's Acre. We were walking across God's Acre, and I got worked up again. And I said, you know, I've been praying about you and me, and she said, not here. (laughs) But finally, God gave me direction and peace. I called her dad on the phone. I didn't understand everything about courtship except the basics. And that is, you don't get married unless the girl's dad okay's it. He has veto power. I read that in the Bible. So I called her up and said, you know what? I bought a diamond ring. And I'm going to ask Tony to marry me if that's okay with you. And so he gave me permission. So now it's going to be mysterious, and I'm going to take her somewhere. And she is just like she is today. She says, where are we going? What's going on here? Well, I snuck this diamond ring into the uh, glove box of my car. And she gets to the car. I don't know, there was something about the glove box. What's there? What's going on? I said, don't worry about it. Don't, don't, don't. Is something wrong? I said, no, nothing's wrong. So we go out there. Now, I want to give you a picture that didn't happen. What if we stopped somewhere and I said this? Now, you know what, Tony, I'm called to be a preacher, and I'm finishing my bachelor's degree, going to go on to seminary. And, uh, but uh, you know what, Uh, I'm going to soon be ordained, I'm sure, and go into the ministry, and I think that pastors ought to be married. So I've set a date for my marriage, June the 28th. And what if I did this, and I'm wondering if you would consider being the bride? Now, Now, let me tell you, that is not what happened. And you know what? If it was what happened, she'd be disappointed. Because my mind and my will, where they go, take my emotions with me. See, and you know what? If we're real, the emotions will be there, too. That's why it's here in James chapter 4. I remember going to the Claremont's house. Their bus captain had said you ought to visit them. Jennifer's been coming regularly. I think they're getting receptive. There's a long story about which I won't tell. I got there. They sat me down in the kitchen to show them how to be saved and I showed them how to be saved like you would. We came down to the promise then we bowed our head and they prayed right on their own and I remember Judy. Bill and Judy both got saved but I remember Judy said Oh, God, how sinful I am. I'm thankful that you love me. And right now I'm accepting Jesus as my Savior. Now, somebody might say, I don't trust that conversion. She was emotional. I know of churches where they think, the colder you are, the better it is. (laughs) See, no emotional appeal. Appeal. I remember hearing about a church where the pastor got influenced by certain people. He started making a big deal about no emotional appeal. Like the prophet who said, why will ye die? There, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll tell you, there are emotional appeals throughout the Bible because God is not neutral about the eternal soul of man. See, and also, people who come to Christ, sometimes they get emotional that salvation is not their emotions. Pastor Willette, my pastor, his dad, Ken Willett was prominent in so many ways, in so many different roles in the state of Michigan for the cause of Christ. He went to Bob Jones University many, many years ago, unsaved, and he was in the congregation when Bob Jones Sr. preached the gospel of Christ, and he got it. Jesus Christ paid my way out of hell and into heaven. If I receive him, he receives me. And he used to give the testimony that I was sitting in the our Auditorium. And when I understood it, I said, sounds like a good deal to me. Sounds like a good deal to me. And there in his chair, he trusted Christ to save him. Then they gave the invitation. And Brother Willett likes to tell the story about how his dad came forward. He actually probably got saved back in his seat. That's where he believed. And Monroe Parker was up there. And you know what, Ken Willett was smiling from ear to ear. And uh, Monroe Parker said, what are you smiling about? He thought he wasn't serious. But you know, he probably was saved. And you know, you can make too much about emotion. But I'm going to tell you this, emotions accompany the rest of us. See, and that also has to do with revival. He says, draw nigh to God, He'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, purify your heart, be afflicted and mourn. You know what he's saying? Mean business. In this church, I was in a prayer meeting, this is a number of years ago, where all across the auditorium people were praying, and we ended up praying for lost family members. There was a lady in the back there. I got to know her later. I didn't know her at the time. She's not from this church. She started praying for an unsaved loved one. And this is the word I'll use. She was wailing. She was wailing in desperate, broken heart for someone lost in their sins. And somebody came to me later because it was disturbing. Because I'll tell you something, seldom do you hear somebody wail in a prayer meeting. I mean, wail. And they said, What did you think about that, Brother Flanders? Here's what I said. You know, what is more interesting than that is this how we can sit there with no tears and no emotion and pray for a lost soul that if he dies the way he is, will burn forever. It's amazing we're not all wailing. What are you saying, Brother Flanders? Are you encouraging emotion? No, here's what I'm saying. It's faith that saves you, not feelings. And it's your will that brings you back to God. But you know what? Your emotions go where you go. And to expect something when you are making an important move in your life is not unusual. Okay. Number three, God wants us to be in business. God wants us to be serious. Cambodia, that's where Dr. Tom Johnson is. A friend of mine was invited to come over there for their first revival conference in Phnom Penh years ago. Then they invited me to come for the second one, and he came also, and we went. Unforgettable time, I pray for the work in Phnom Penh. It's great. But my friend told me about the first time. The first time they were preaching on revival, it was being interpreted into Khmer. And there were like three or 400 people there in the rented building. And they were Christians, and they were preaching about revival. A lot of things we've been talking about this week. And uh, then afterwards, I think after he preached, they called for a prayer meeting where they would come to God and ask God to revive them. And he says, I was the only one there who would only speak English. Dr. Johnson, some of the missionaries spoke English and Khmer, or whatever the name of it is. And he didn't understand a word they were saying. But he understood them. He told me, and I heard this when I went, we had a prayer meeting, something similar happened, but something happened his time that didn't happen with mine that illustrates something that I want to tell you. They were praying, and I'm not any good at imitating this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. They were praying like, Oh, in the language of Cambodia, tears rolling down their face. "Oh And although my friend didn't understand the language, he understood the prayers. He knew what was happening. Then he said they were all praying, men and women, like that, calling on God, undoubtedly for forgiveness and revival. And then he turned to Dr. Johnson, because something changed. He said, what are they saying? He's saying He said, they're confessing their sins by name and asking forgiveness. Amen. Well, then the praying went on, <clears throat> and then... The sound changed again. And my friend said to Dr. Johnson, now what are they saying? And Dr. Johnson could hardly answer him. They're asking Jesus to forgive them for the pain their sins caused him at Calvary. And I don't know, maybe you're one of these cold, hard-hearted fundamentalists. But I'll tell you something, maybe that doesn't move you. But to be in the midst of people, grateful for the forgiveness of their sins, people disgusted with their sinful lives, telling Jesus Christ what they're thinking about it with emotion, I'm going to tell you something. That's natural. God wants us to mean business. He wants us to mean business about loving him. When we, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I'm not, I don't want to get, give the wrong impression here. It's not, you got to make yourself emotional, but I'll tell you something. You ought to mean it. You no, know, I love you. Jesus, in case you wondered, I love you. Is that it? I love you because you first loved me. If you love me, keep my commandments. You know, if you stifle your feelings, you will stifle your dedication. Don't stifle your feelings. Love him. We've been hearing songs. Oh, all the songs at Falls are good. I like Charles Wesley. Arise, my soul, arise. I don't, I never get asked to sing special songs, so sometimes I ask myself. <laughs> and we sang it at the beginning of our revival class this morning, and all the guys knew all the words. Whoa. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Did he die for me and I was the one who caused his pain? Did you listen to this? I pursued him to death. I was one of the ones calling for his blood. It was me, but he died for me. Amazing love. And then sometimes when people sing that song, they skip the stanza. Long my prison spirit lie, fast bound by sin and nature's night. Thine eyes diffused a quickening ray. I rose, the dungeon (laughs) flamed with light. Went to my one of my kids' graduations, where they were playing that song. Well, they were going down the aisle to get their diploma, and we were singing it. It was there. Came to that (laughs) stanza. That happened to me. I rose. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I'll tell you what, I was broken up about his love. And I was thanking him. Thanking him. What are you saying, Brother Flanders? God wants us to mean business about loving him. And we sing. I was in the South and a couple of different places, I can name you where. Where the choir or the people were singing songs about wonderful things. I remember one song in one church that was really about the fact that Jesus Christ won that victory over the devil. You know what, I don't like the devil. And he's defeated. The words of the song, I didn't know the song. And they started singing like some Southern people do. I was in a church one time in the South where the choir was singing about heaven. And you know what? They were happy that they were going to heaven. And you know what? They were so happy, some of the people in the choir were standing on their chairs. I'm not suggesting that for falls. But uh, they were up there like this, and my wife was there, and I was thinking. I said to her, I feel like standing on my pew. I feel like saying, praise God, I'm going to be there. How can we be so cold-hearted? See, God wants us to be in business about loving him, about seeking him, a contrite heart, seeking his face. Now, I'm not talking about impressing someone. Brother Flanders preached on be afflicted and mourn and weep, so you know what? At the invitation, I'm going to weep and cry and make you think that I'm really spiritual. No, I'm, I'm talking about the opposite of that. I'm talking about being Real! Real! And we come to god and say i've wandered far think of the words far away from god but now i'm coming home that would not be accompanied by emotion i don't mean judge people but i mean business when you're seeking god mean business oh man and you know what god wants us to mean business about believing there was that father whose son was in such trouble And he says to him, this this is moving, Mark chapter 9. He said, Lord, if you can do anything, would you have compassion on us and help us? Imagine those words. The disciples of Jesus failed him. And the young man possessed by a devil was not helped. And the man comes to Jesus Christ of all people. And he says, if you can do anything, if you could do anything, <laughs> Jesus, have compassion on us. No one in the world ever had compassion on people like him. And help us out. Jesus said back to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And the man said famously, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. I see emotion in there and you know what if you'll believe God about what he's going to do in your life and about his promises to you if you're going to believe God you want to mean it maybe not in this room maybe somewhere alone say God I believe you I believe I'm telling the devil to leave me alone you always tell the truth what you have said you will do help thou mine unbelief Oh, yes, my friends, that doesn't disturb God. See, that shows God that you mean business. John R. Rice, as a young evangelist, had a problem. He tells about it in his books. He would cry all the time. Came to the pulpit, whether he was preaching to Christians or lost souls, he would cry all the time while he was preaching and he was embarrassed. Matter of fact, I met a guy my first year of college who we were talking about our testimonies. He said, I got got saved under the preaching of John R. Rice. Oh, wonderful, that's wonderful. He said, you know why I got saved? As far as I can tell, I got saved because he's the first man I ever heard preach on hell who acted like he, he didn't want me to go there. He was the first man I ever heard preach on hell who acted like He didn't want me to go there. And Dr. Rice had a problem with tears. And he thought it was embarrassing. So he tells the story of how he prayed, Dear God, please let me get a control of myself. Take away the tears. And God did. And he began to preach again without tears, without emotion. Then after just a couple of sermons, he found himself alone with God, saying, bring back the tears. And right to his dying day, Dr. Rice would weep. Let's pray. Dear Lord,